The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. Now we have time to worship God or really hear the voice of God through His Scripture together. Thank you, Paige and Tim and Nikki, for ministry of music and helping prepare our hearts, providing an opportunity to worship God through song. And I would invite all of you now, if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to have kind of a survey of the Bible on a particular topic. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and the ushers here can provide you with one. There's a couple of hands. While they're passing the Bibles out there, just an update. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to tell the body here about an opportunity I have to go to St. Petersburg, Russia on a one-week missions trip coming up in June. And there were specific prayer requests. All of our funds have been raised already amazingly, so we thank you. Praise God for that. Thank you for your generosity and your prayers. And I was also asking you to pray that we would get the visas, which isn't always a, a shoe-in to get uh, visas to countries like Russia. So we received those this last week as well. So there's two other answers to prayer that Timothy and I were able to get our visas to Russia. So thank you so much. And now just continue to pray that the Word of God goes out and we are effective in ministry to the unbelievers there in St. Petersburg and also an encouragement to the local church that ministers in the area where we'll be serving um, let's go ahead and look at, if, oh, and an outline's been provided for you there. Those of you who haven't been here, but who are regulars, usually we're going through a book of the Bible. Most recently we went through the book of Titus, which was helpful for family life and also church life. We finished that, and before embarking on another New Testament book, I thought I'd take a break for a couple of months and just go through basic topics that are very important to church life. Back to the basics, really. And so we've been doing that for several weeks now. We talked about conflict management and resolution from Matthew 18. We talked about serving in the church as a believer. Uh, last week we talked about giving. That is so basic to the Christian life, a basic Christian virtue and discipline. And today I want to talk about biblical preaching, which is absolutely basic to what a church should be doing and what every Christian should be exposed to on a regular basis, preaching. And the idea of going over these most basic topics is to get all of us as a local church family on the same page. Uh, we need to do that time and time again. As God brings us people from all kinds of different areas, locations, backgrounds, experiences, different exposures to certain teachings, teachings growing up. Sometimes uh, some people come and they weren't exposed to certain teachings. And uh, so we need to keep going back to the basics. And so today we're talking about uh, biblical preaching. And so this series I've been calling Life in the Body, and we'll continue for the next two weeks after this as well before we uh, embark on another New Testament book. So I want to talk about biblical preaching. Let's go ahead and look at that. Notice the title is not just preaching, but biblical preaching, because there's a lot of preaching going on, but it isn't necessarily all biblical. But the preaching needs to be biblical, and hence uh, the specific title there, Biblical Preaching. I have eight points that I want to run through today. Again, this is in survey kind of like fashion. Uh, we're not going to exhaust comprehensively any topic that we're addressing, but I am trying to highlight the priorities and define some parameters by which we, sh we should think about certain topics in a balanced way. And so there's nothing magical about these eight points. These aren't necessarily all that could be said on the topic of biblical preaching. As a matter of fact, in these eight points, there's nothing here about the preacher, the qualifications of the preacher with respect to biblical preaching. So that's just assumed that we understand that. And we did spend some time in the book of Titus 
exhaustively talking about qualifications of an elder shepherd who is the preacher in the church. So we have really addressed that topic. So what we're really emphasizing here is what is biblical preaching? What does it look like? Uh, How should it come across in churches? And get this, points 5 through 8, the responsibility of the listener to the preaching. I don't know if you've ever had a sermon of that nature. I've actually never preached a sermon of that nature, but I am delighted to do so this morning. Uh, Actually, it's kind of interesting. In the last five years, I've seen two or three books come out that have become well-known addressing the listener of sermons. One was called Expository Listening. That's actually by a good friend of mine who wrote that book about five years ago. And I thought, oh, there's a neat concept. Expository Listening. Uh, And then another one was just, you know, how to listen to a sermon and and others as well. So uh, that's good. That is needed. Because God's people need to be reminded of how to properly assess preaching, how to listen to preaching, how to apply preaching. And so really that is the goal Uh, that I have this morning. So let's go ahead and look at these eight points on biblical preaching. Uh, Point number one, preaching is God's method of declaring truth. Preaching is God's method of declaring truth. This might seem like a simple point, but it's actually quite profound and very important for us to keep in mind. This really hit home to me about Boy, 15 years ago when I began reading a whole bunch of books on church growth because I was praying about planting a church in Texas. I was getting my hands on every book that I could possibly find and how to grow a church, how to plant a church. And most of these were recent and vintage. And there are many that have the same kind of theme. And they're saying, yeah, you've got to deal with the preaching thing. And here in this modern day culture and in the 1990s, uh, as we are a culture that is really technologically advanced and people have short attention spans and everybody's got ADD and everybody wants things quickly and those kind of things that we really got to tone down the preaching, especially with respect to its length. And so these books, really the best-selling church growth books, were saying you should probably plan on a 15 to 20-minute sermon if you really want your church to grow and if you really want to be relevant and appeal to the modern American mentality, especially the young people. Because college students, you know, they have a short span of attention, right? And they can't handle too much information. And same with junior hires, even less. So uh, we got to really tone it down. I'm literally, you know, 15, 20-minute messages. And this is what I was getting. And I was even at a church where I served at one point where that was uh, some of the staff was buying into church growth mentality. And I was given an edict as one of the preachers of all the things that I needed to abide by from now on when I preached. And one of them was I couldn't go longer than 20 minutes. And I thought, wow, I might get through my title, I guess, of the sermon. Uh, or maybe the intro, really? When I was told I can't wear a tie, among other things. Um, I thought, wow, that's pretty superficial. But anyway, but the main argument is, is that preaching is archaic, it's outmoded, it's not relevant. That isn't how people communicate. That isn't how people uh, enter, uh, take in information today. That isn't how they learn. They don't have the patience for it. Uh, it's not effective. There's other more effective ways to communicate and teach people and to attend to all the learning modes and learning styles of people who are so complex. And so more and more it was smothering out preaching and emphasizing drama and theater and video and PowerPoint and 3D experiences and virtual reality, on and on. And dissing 
the efficacy of preaching. And all I can say is from Genesis to Revelation, God's method of communicating his divine revelation first and foremost and primarily is through preaching. And just a simple definition of preaching so that we are clear. Authoritative verbal proclamation of God's truth. Authoritative verbal proclamation of God's truth. That's a very important phrase on the end, of God's truth. Because you can preach things that aren't God's truth, and you're not really preaching if it's not God's truth, if it's story or your experience. It's got to be God's truth, and it's authoritative proclamation of God's divine revelation that He has entrusted to us. And so, a couple of verses to keep in mind that just how out throughout the ages God has put a premium on preaching. I don't know, if, when you think about Noah, if I were to ask you, who was Noah? What did Noah do for a living? What was his occupation? It'd be kind of interesting what answers we might put down. Some might say, well, he was a farmer or a vineyard, right? Or he was an ark builder. Or he was an agrarian guy and he was a this and he was a that. Or maybe he was a shepherd. And actually, Second Peter 2.5 tells us God's perspective. It says this, Noah was a preacher. I don't, did you know that? Noah was a preacher, and the guy lived for 900 years. So he had a long preaching ministry. It's amazing. So that was his occupation. Noah was a preacher. He preached divine truth. He preached God's message. He proclaimed it verbally. At the time of the flood, most people rejected his message. But even from the very beginning... That's thousands of years ago. God was communicating His truth through preachers. And if you go throughout the entire Old Testament and thousands of years, these men of God that God raised up, and the way He wanted to communicate and dispense His truth was through preaching, whether it was Isaiah, all those guys. Uh, name a prophet, and that's what their job was. They were supposed to be, they were commissioned by God to preach. They weren't first uh, and foremost writers, even though they wrote Scripture, but first and foremost they were declarers of God's truth. That is a preacher. So thousands of years ago with Noah culminating, and then you come to the New Testament, uh, it says that John the Baptist came, uh, this is Matthew 3.1, John the Baptist came doing what? What was John the Baptist? Well, it says he came preaching. You know what that means? That, that was his job, that was his occupation, that was what he was called to do. That was his first and foremost priority that God had him do with respect to ministry. John the Baptist, first and foremost, was a preacher. Matthew 3.1, John came preaching. What about Jesus? And we get definitions about Jesus all the time from the world, wrong labels of who he was, what he did. He was a philanthropist. He was a miracle worker. He was a social worker. He was a this. He was a that. He was on and on it goes. No, actually it's Mark 1.14 and other passages tell us first and foremost what Jesus was or what he did. It says Jesus came teaching and preaching. That means that's what he preoccupied himself with during his entire public ministry. He put a priority on teaching and preaching. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Jesus was called rabbi, which means teacher or preacher. That was his calling as the Savior who would give his life. And, it's, and it was preaching authoritatively God's truth to sinners. And that's what the church is supposed to be doing. For the last 2,000 years, first and foremost, churches are supposed to be made up of men of God who are called to preach. Even today, in 2013, this is God's main way of declaring truth and promoting truth and teaching truth. It's not doing videos. It's not doing dramas. We don't need theatrics and antics and the latest technology to do what God has called us to do. It is to preach. And that's my main responsibility as a pastor-teacher 
That's what I do. That should be the priority of what I do. Is to preach the Word of God to the local assembly. To the saints. That's what God has called the pastor to do in every local church. He is first and foremost a preacher among other important duties. But he can't neglect the teaching and preaching ministry because it is such a priority. And this is going to be God's, this is God's will until Jesus returns. If Jesus waits another thousand years, we better still have churches that have preachers and they're putting a a premium on preaching a thousand years from now. And this will go on even into the future. The book of Revelation chapter 11, which refers to the future during the time of the tribulation, where it says that God gives two witnesses, Revelation chapter 11 and verses 2 through 5, and it says God's going to raise up two witnesses and they're going to give themselves for 42 months to prophecy or to preaching. They're just going to have a, a preaching ministry. So from Noah to the two witnesses of Revelation, that is God's way of communicating His truth primarily. And that's why the Apostle Paul called himself primarily a preacher. God didn't call me to baptize. God called me to preach. And what does the world think of preaching as a mode of communication? They think it is idiotic, old hat, archaic, worthless, ineffective. And Paul said they think it is foolishness. And yet God says in it is divine wisdom. Preaching. It's God's method of declaring truth. Let's go on to point number two. Well, what do we preach? Well, it's the content of preaching is the Bible. Aren't these profound points? I had to think really hard about these things. Uh, the content of preaching is the Bible. Uh, you could put the content of preaching is Scripture. You could put the content of preaching is divine revelation written down for us from God. You could put uh, the content of preaching is the Old and New Testament. The words of Jesus. The words of God written down for us. That's what that means. That's what we preach. What do we preach? We preach Scripture. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm giving you a summary of 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy and Titus because Paul wrote those three letters to preachers, to pastors, telling them, what do you need to make a priority of in your ministry? And Preaching is one of the main things that they need to make a priority of is to preach. Preach God's truth. 2 Timothy 4, what do we preach? What content? Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Paul, older apostle, mentor, talking to younger pastor, elder, minister, shepherd, overseer, Timothy who's in Ephesus trying to do some work on behalf of Paul, what's Timothy supposed to be doing there? Administrating, primarily? Organizing the food kitchen for the needy? There's a lot of good deeds he could have been doing. No, I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Jesus is judge. You will be confronted by the judge for what you do and what you need to preoccupy yourself with. Timothy, as a pastor in the church, is verse 2, preach the Word. There it is. What is a pastor supposed to do? He's supposed to preach the Word. Preach the Word. This is a command. This is an imperative. This is a command to me. I embrace this as something basic that I am called to do. Preach That's the verb. What do I preach? The content is the Word. And Timothy knew exactly what Paul was talking about. What was the Word? The Word was divine revelation. The Word was Scripture because he referred to it in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy very specifically. So it's preach the Word. Preach the Bible. Preach Scripture. This is what we preach. This is what we teach. When you go to church and you are ready to hear a sermon, your first expectation should be, I want to hear the Word of God today. 
I want to hear Scripture. I want to hear divine truth. Anything other than that is compromising God's most basic command. In terms of the content of what is preached, it is to preach the Word, it is to preach Scripture. So, uh, and preach means proclaim authoritatively. And that's, that's quite a command for the preacher. You need to get up with confidence, with delegated authority, and proclaim the Scriptures as they are. And there are some difficult things in Scripture. There are some things in Scripture that I have to preach that challenge me, that confront me, that worry me. Sometimes I have to preach something where I think, hmm, I wonder how this person will react. I wonder how this congregation will react. I wonder how the people will react. You know what? It doesn't matter. This is God's truth. He's commanded me to preach, and so I have to preach what is in His Word, as does every pastor. Regardless of the content, it is God's Word. So we are commanded to preach Scripture. I hope this helps you be discerning as you listen to other preachers and turn on the television maybe and watch a so-called preacher or so. And listen, are they really preaching Scripture? I mean, they might be really good speakers. They might be very entertaining. They might be very articulate. And they never say um and ah. And uh, they inspire the crowds and they get a response. And they're very funny and they're very humorous. And they're very relevant and they're very practical. And they're speaking to people's hearts and where people are at. But the question is, are they preaching the Bible? Are they preaching Scripture? That's really the priority. And it's amazing how many do not preach Scripture. They're preaching around Scripture, over Scripture. They're using Scripture as a springboard for personal stories and personal rabbit trails and personal priorities. It's very commonplace. Are they actually preaching the Bible, preaching God's Word? So this is the command that Paul gave to Timothy. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. That's how you preach. Timothy, you preach the content of the Bible and the way you do it is in an authoritative manner. Not because you have any authority whatsoever as the preacher. You have delegated authority from God Himself and Scripture has inherent authority as well. And so as you teach Scripture and explain it, inherently it has its own authority. Inherently it requires and asks for and demands a response and as a result the preacher should be giving to preaching which is a proclamation, authoritative declaration, as well as reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. The first two are negative. Reproving error. Reproving wrong things. Rebuking sin. That needs to come from the pulpit. Exhort can be negative or positive. One of the nuances of exhort is also encourage. Encourage the people with the Word of God. Feed their soul. Give them answers to life's difficult problems and situations and do it with great patience and instruction. So what do we preach? We preach the Bible. We don't, pre- we don't get hung up spending all of our time on illustrations and stories and personal experience and give, preaching on felt needs and what the people want to hear and what we think will build a church and what on and on it goes. It has to be the Bible. That is unchanging. That is transcendent. And because the content of what we preach is the Bible, Scripture, you know what that is? That's the equivalent of God's Word. We preach God's Word. What does that mean? We preach what God says about everything. We preach what God thinks about everything. These are the thoughts of God written down on paper. Think, isn't that amazing? I wonder what God thinks about this matter. I wonder what God, the Almighty, Infinite Creator of the universe, thinks about this issue. Well, we know. We don't have to guess. It's right here. And this is what we preach. God's thoughts. God's words. Absolutely amazing and inherently because Scripture is God's Word. It is inspired. It is God-breathed. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. Scripture itself. 
is breathed out by God and inherently authoritative and binding. So as a result, our preaching should be authoritative. I already said that. It is authoritative as we clearly give accurately the Word of God. Also because we preach the Bible as we preach, the message should be convicting. Why is that? Well, Scripture, according to Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God, Scripture is living and active. Scripture is alive. Scripture is unlike any other written human book. Any other human book, Mark Twain, he was funny, but his writings were not living and active. God's Word is literally living and active. It is supernatural, the truth therein. And what is preached and taught, it goes out and literally goes into people's ears, into their mind, into their conscience, into their soul, and it is convicting. It is alive. It's like electricity. It is invisible, but it can shock you and create a response or a reaction. That's the living Word of God. It's absolutely amazing. So the Word of God, when it is preached, it should be convicting. That's why when you preach a message on any given Sunday, I can get all kinds of different responses. It's amazing. If you were, I've been preaching, by the way, for 24 years. And one thing over the 24 years of preaching that I've kind of gotten over is how to deal with the different responses and reactions and feedback from people on any given message. I listen to it all. I take it all seriously. But there's a specific way that I process that information. Because on any given Sunday, including today's sermon... The same people could be sitting down and hear the exact same preacher, the exact same message, the exact same words, and I could get five to seven different responses to this message today. For all the way from, uh, Pastor, that was convicting, or that was very encouraging, or thank you so much, or wow, I learned something, or I never heard that before, that was awesome, or that fed my soul, or thank you for that reminder, or that helped me become more discerning, and I was really struggling with this, and I never heard this growing up, or thank you, so, that kind of response. To other responses of uh, coming up and somebody questioning my interpretation challenging the way I interpreted something, or somebody could come up with a legitimate question uh, asking, can you clarify? Uh, you said this, what did you mean by that? That's a, that's a legitimate question and feedback. Uh, and then there's other questions or feedback you get. And this isn't just me, this is any preacher who's been doing it for a while. You can just ask them. I mean, there's all kinds of different responses, but really there's a very short taxonomy or classes of kinds of responses. So you got the very encouraging ones, or my soul was fed, or thank you for preaching the Word of God, or to other responses you might get from the same message, negative ones. Maybe somebody never comes back to the church again. That happens. That has happened here at GBF. That's okay. Be faithful to the truth of the Word of God is the main priority. Be stewards of that. Other possible responses or reactions that are very common actually is um, people can comment on your style. Everybody has a different personality. That's why we have our favorite preachers. Totally illegitimate to have your favorite preacher. So I teach uh, two classes at the Cornerstone Seminary, and so I ask the first day of class all those guys on a piece of paper who their favorite preacher is. And it's kind of fun. And they write it down, MacArthur, Piper. uh, Those are usually the top answers. MacArthur, Piper, Spurgeon. And I say, well, he has to be alive on earth today. Okay, scratch that. Um, and then they give several others, and then we talk about it, and actually, that's, it's actually kind of fun. And so they have their favorite preachers, which actually is legitimate, and a lot of times it just comes down to their style of delivery or personality, because they'll acknowledge, no, those are all men of God, but I like this style better. So sometimes you'll get uh, criticisms or feedback based on your style, which is okay. Sometimes you'll get criticism on your mechanics, or your delivery. McManus, you talk too fast. 
Well, I know I've been working on it for 24 years. Pray for me. Listen to my sermons in 1990. You would think I am really slow today. <laughs> Delivery. Uh, that could be, I mean, that's just, some of it is very superficial. But those can be helpful because you can always think about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I need to slow down. Or whatever. And then there's criticisms that I think are kind of cheap shots. Um, where somebody hasn't, they just heard the message, they haven't prayed, they haven't thought about it, they haven't committed to the Lord, and they'll just give some kind of criticism that's not really helpful. Like I've had people come after a sermon and say, that was a 7 out of 10. Oh, wow. Okay, I just finished three minutes ago. How much prayer did you put into that? Uh, That was a 9 out of 10. Boy, you were on today. Oh, really? What was that? Well, you were wearing a tie. Oh, okay. No, I'm serious. Oh, that was a 10 out of 10. That hardly ever happens. Nice job. Wow, why was I a 10 today? Well, you were just a little more uppity. See, and all these comments have nothing to do with the content of the Word of God. So those are very superficial. Another chief shot of a feedback is when, and this is not just me, I commiserate with preachers. These are standard. These are universal feedback and criticisms. I teach a homiletics class as well. And I teach it to preachers. So we talk about these things. One common one is people who come up and say, well, you didn't say this. That's a cheap shot. Because if you think about it, you could preach for an hour on any given topic and there's always something that somebody could think about that you didn't mention. Because you can't comprehensively exhaust every topic in a one-hour or 55-minute message. So anybody can get up and anybody in the audience could think of something they didn't say or they neglected to say on that, very, that certain topic. That's why that's a cheap shot. Well, you said all this, but you didn't say this. When the listener, we're going to talk about this, should be focusing on what was said. You're accountable for the Word of God that was communicated. And and a lot of preachers are like me. We share the same struggles because sometimes people will say that to me. Well, you didn't say this. Well, but I did say this because that's what the passage was talking about. I didn't want to miss the boat. And you're right, I didn't talk about those things. But I did say this, and I I also didn't say about 60% of what was in my notes because people wanted to go to lunch. But I wanted to make sure I talked about the main thing. So those of you who are teachers, you know what I'm talking about. Especially those of you who have preached before, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, uh, so those are just some things to think about there in terms of how you respond and challenges of the preacher. But the main thing is that the preacher needs to be preaching the Bible. And as we preach the Bible, another response, because it's living, is that people's souls will be fed. That's 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, where it says, like newborn babes, Christians, take in the Word of God because it will nourish you like milk to the soul. The Word of God is milk and meat to the Christian, and that's how we grow. You will grow thereby as you take in the living Word of God. So God's preaching... Uh, God's method is preaching. The content we preach is the Bible. Number three, preaching is to be expository. Expository. A lot of confusion over this. Some people think that expository preaching means you're going through a book verse by verse. That does not mean expository preaching. Where you go through a book chapter by chapter or paragraph by paragraph. That, that is not the equivalent of expository preaching. The easiest way to look at it and define it is, is to take the word expository to a related word that defines it and expose. To exposit something means to expose something, to reveal something, to unveil something, to make something very clear, 
to explain something, to explicate something. That is what expository means. You can do it verse by verse. You can do it paragraph by paragraph. You can uh, have an expository message that isn't going through a book but is actually thematic or topical because you are expositing the verses that you're using in a proper manner. So that's what expository means. It's exposing the true truth of the Bible. And here, this is key. You're exposing the original meaning of the original author, the intent of the original author. That is key. I don't care what I think about a passage. I want to know what Paul meant when he wrote a verse in 2 Timothy. What did Paul mean? What did Moses mean when he wrote Genesis 1? Or better yet, what did Moses mean when he wrote Exodus chapter 20, verse 11, and Moses wrote down in 1400 B.C., thus says the Lord, God made the universe in six days and rested on the seventh. What, what did Moses mean when he wrote that? Well, I think he means exactly what it says. And it shouldn't be questioned. It is very clear. But the Darwinists say, but modern day science says, but this evangelical at this seminary says, doesn't matter. What's the original meaning of the original author who was moved by God to write inspired scripture? That is expository preaching. To reveal and unveil the true meaning of God's word. Look at Nehemiah. Go in Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Uh, a neglected book, if you go to the wisdom books in the middle of your Bible, and then before the wisdom books like Psalms and Proverbs, you'll run into Ezra and Nehemiah. And we want to look at Nehemiah chapter 8. Don't have time to read the whole chapter. If you had time to read the whole chapter, it's a great chapter on preaching, the value of preaching, how the preacher is supposed to preach, and then how the people are supposed to respond and interact with the preaching. But I just want to read one verse which really spells out and illustrates expository preaching like few verses in the Bible. Uh, Ezra chapter 8, verse 8. So, starting at verse 1, all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they, they asked Ezra the scribe, he was the Bible teacher, to bring the Bible, bring the law of Moses, bring the Scripture. And Ezra brought the Scriptures before all the men, all the women, and all who could listen with understanding. That's the kids who were not in children's church that day. They're in big church with moms and dads to hear the preaching of the Word. Verse 3 says, Ezra read from the Scripture before everybody there. Get this, he read it from morning until midday. That's a long sermon, about six hours. All day. In the presence of the men, the women, and the children, or those who could understand, and all the people, get this, were attentive to the Scripture or the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which he had made for this purpose of preaching. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book of the Scripture inside of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. He opened the Word of God, and all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord uh, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. It's okay to uh, raise your hands. Can you see that? And there's a response verbally from the people to the Word of God. Then they bowed low and they worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So this is worship. Well, what in the world prompted this response? Verse 8, the Levites and Ezra, the preachers, read from the Scriptures. So this is expository preaching. You read the Bible so the people can hear it 
So they read from the book, the law of God, translating. Okay, so then you translate it for the people. The original Greek and the Hebrew. Here's what it literally says. Here's a more accurate translation. And then after that it says, and give the sense. That's what the preacher needs to do. Not only does the the preacher read the Scripture and then translate it, he has to give the sense. He has to explain the meaning. He has to expose its real meaning of the original author so that the people can understand it. See? So you give the sense so that they can understand the reading. Do you really understand the Scripture after the pastor tried to explain it? That is expository preaching. That is a priority. Let's go on to number four. Uh, The ministry of preaching informs other ministries in the church. The ministry of preaching informs or defines all other ministries in the church. So if we have a prayer ministry, well, how do we pray? What do we believe about prayer? Well, that all comes from the teaching of the Word of God and the ministry of the Word of God. The Bible defines how we do ministry. It defines how we pray and what we think about prayer. I don't care what your ministry is in a church. We've got children's ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry. That all needs to be defined, informed, and driven by Scripture. And these times of corporate assembly where we're reading and studying the Bible together are very, very important. And the reason it is so important is it's creating kind of a collective consciousness and understanding of the Word of God on any given topic so that we're all on the same page knowing the mind of God. Let me give you a verse uh, on this point of the preaching needs to inform and define all the other ministries in the church. One illustration would be where the Apostle Paul went and planted churches. Well, what did Paul do to plant a church? He probably planted 20 plus churches. And his pattern was always the same. Because the book of Acts says his pattern was always the same. He would go into a city that didn't have a church. And he says, and it says, as was his custom, what did he do? He gave himself first to preaching and teaching. And he kept preaching and teaching. And he kept preaching and teaching until he got a positive response. People got saved. People embraced Scripture. And then when he had enough people, then he would start a church and lay its foundation. So every church started on the foundation of the truth of the Gospel and the preached Word of God. But the preaching ministry drove and even began every church and it defines all the ministries that grow in that church. That's why when a person, and this is legit, we talk, we meet another Christian, oh, what church do you go to? Well, usually what somebody means by that, yeah, I live in Minnesota, do you go to church there? Yeah, I go to church. What church do you go to? I go to such, I go to uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church. And then my first thought is, oh, okay, so that means John Piper is your preaching pastor. Now, that church could be 10,000 people big, but the pulpit and the guy who preaches the Word of God and is the pastor teacher... He kind of defines the nature of the entire ministry there. Where do you go to church? Uh, I go to Grace Community Church. Oh, okay, that's oh, that's the Johnny Mac Church. Uh, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to this and that church. So, again, that's all coming back to the power of the preaching as foundational in any given church and any given ministry. But just one verse I want you to look at. Uh, Acts chapter 20. And here was Paul, the church planner going out into many of these cities that didn't have churches. And as was his custom, he's preaching. And then he planted a church in Ephesus, and he was there, pastored for two years at least. He ended up staying there for three and a half years, trained up some elders. Then he had to go, and he knew he'd probably never return. So he meets with the elders at Ephesus that he had raised up in this church that he planted. And in about a two-year period of time, according to Acts chapter 20, verse 27, the Apostle Paul says to the elders at Ephesus, just before his departure, he said, you need to shepherd the flock, watch over them, watch out Satan is mean, he's ugly, uh, 
guard the flock. And remember what I did on your behalf as your original pastor and as apostle. Verse 27, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. And so that's one of the jobs of the pastor, teacher, and the elders in the church. They need to declare the whole counsel of God. And I'll tell you what, so if I were to ask you, what does that mean? To declare, it is the responsibility of the pastors to declare the whole counsel of God like Paul did in two years at Ephesus. What does that mean, to declare the whole counsel of God? Well, here's what it doesn't mean that actually a lot of people think it means. It does not mean that the Apostle Paul preached on every book in the Bible in two years. Many New Testament books hadn't even been written yet. It doesn't mean that Paul preached on every verse in the Old Testament either. That's not what that means. So, I am obligated to preach the whole counsel of God. It doesn't mean I have to preach verse by verse through every book in the Bible before I die at this local church. The whole counsel of God, really, is proclaiming everything that God has to say on any given doctrine or topic. And you need to declare it in its fullness, in light of progressive revelation. Any given topic. It has to be given through the grid of the fullness of how Scripture would define it. And so when you're preaching the, the full counsel of God, no matter what you're talking about, whether say you're talking about marriage. I'm going to say, okay, women, ladies, wives, the Bible says you need to submit to and get this, even obey your husband. Okay, let's go on to the next topic. Let's talk about money now, now that we got that out of the way. And, okay, wow. Well, when I tell wives to submit and obey your husband, is that in the Bible? Yes. Is that true? Yes. Is that the whole story? Absolutely not. So I didn't speak to the whole counsel of God on the topic of what makes a godly marriage. Half the story is missing, isn't it? The perfect balance and complement. Not only do I tell wives they must submit and obey their husbands, I need to tell the husbands they need to love their wives as Christ loved the church, which is humanly impossible, by the way. And when that is actually going on, you have perfect harmony in a marriage relationship. So you can't preach one truth without neglecting others. This is true of every doctrine in the Bible and wherever there's heresy, Something usually is out of balance or being neglected. The problem of evil. Some people overemphasize one certain thing. Or what about the character of God? A mistake there of not preaching the whole counsel of God is saying, well, God is love. Love, love, love. God is love, 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 love. I mean, and that's all they talk about. Well, what are they neglecting? They're neglecting the holiness of God, the wrath of God, which is the perfect balance. That's the full counsel of God on the doctrine of the character of God. Or the doctrine of Jesus. Jesus was deity. Jesus was deity. Jesus was, well, he was also, a, he became a real man without sin, but he was a real man. You've got to talk about the humanity as well to balance that out. Another common one is uh, the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. If you start overemphasizing one point or another, you have a lack of balance. But you know what? This is true on every doctrine in the Bible. And so that's why. Every doctrine you're preaching on the Bible has to be informed by everything pretty much that God said about that matter. And if you do that faithfully, then you're preaching doctrine in balance from God's point of view and you're doing it in accordance with all the counsel of God. Okay, let's go on to the next one. So, uh, preaching informs other church ministries. Number five. Okay, now this emphasis is on the listener. So this would be practical application for all of us listening to the Word of God. This applies to me too when I'm listening to a sermon, which I enjoy doing, whether it's on the radio or 
I used to listen to tapes all the time. Now it's CDs all the time of, of preachers. Point number five, the listener needs to prepare the heart for the preached word. Listener prepares the heart. Here's a question. Don't answer out loud, but think about your day yesterday. Did you think about, okay, I'm going to be with God's people tomorrow, going to church, going to worship, going to hear the word of God preached, and then you actually deliberately, intentionally set some time aside to pray to God and ask Him to prepare your heart that you might receive the word of God and welcome its truth so that it might affect you and change your life. Chances are that some of you actually did that. And that's a discipline that you take seriously. And chances are that some of you didn't do it and maybe never do it and actually never thought of that. But we need to. If you've been listening very carefully over the years, one of our elders who prays publicly, routinely prays to God that He would soften our heart, our hardened hearts and our stiff necks, so that we might welcome and embrace the truth of the Word of God when it is preached. We need that prayer because it is our natural inclination to resist God's truth. It is, as sinners. We need God's help. He needs to intervene. He needs to soften and prepare our hearts. The natural reaction is to resist the Word of God, to be callous to the Word of God, to, be, to get mad at the Word of God. That's what we do as sinners. So I want to flip to Psalm 119. One little beautiful illustration of the psalmist, whoever wrote Psalm 119. The whole chapter, it's one of the longest chapters in the Bible, and the whole thing is about the, the Scriptures, the Word of God. And I want to point out a couple of verses where you see this believer is asking God to prepare their heart that they might receive and welcome Scripture as they hear it preached and taught. So look at Psalm 119, starting at verse... Oh, let's start at verse 10. Every verse talks about Scripture, by the way. This is a prayer. And they're praying to God that, that God would open their heart and make them sensitive to respond to Scripture properly, that they might apply it to their life, and that they would welcome the Word of God and not... Stiff arm the truth of the Word of God. Uh, look at verse 10. It says, With all my heart I have sought you. God, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. God, with all my heart I'm praying to you. Don't let me diss the Word of God. Don't let me stiff arm the truth of the Bible when I hear it. So this believer is humble and they know that they need help to have a receptive heart. Verse 18. God, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your life. God, open my eyes so I will understand. Help me. Yeah, the preacher can help me by giving me the Word and giving it accurately, but you need to help me understand it and enlighten me and soften my heart and so that I'll be welcoming and know how to apply it in a very personal and intimate way in my life. So this is one an ongoing conversation with God Almighty that they might have their heart prepared by God so that they might receive and welcome the Word of God that it might make a difference in their life. Go to verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. See, they're asking God to make a difference in the word of God as it's being used and heard in their life. It's not the preacher. Preacher, help me apply this. No, this is God help me apply this. This truth that I have heard. 
Look at verse 27. God, make me understand the way of your precepts. God, make me understand the way of your scripture. God, help me understand the Bible when it is preached. Notice this. So I will meditate on your wonders. So I will meditate and ruminate continually on the truth of the word of God that I heard today. God, you have got to help me. That is the plea and cry of his heart in prayer. Look at verse 29. Remove the false way from me. This is a believer talking. See, there are impediments to receiving the Word of God even from believers. We have hardness of heart. We have a callous heart. We have distracted hearts. We have wrong priorities. So we need to pray, God, remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. Grant me that I might understand Scripture. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, your Bible. Teach me. Verse 34, God, give me understanding that I might hear and understand the Word of God. Not only that, help me apply it. Verse 34, give me understanding that I might observe your law, that I might apply the Scripture. It's not the preacher's responsibility to make you apply the Scripture. It is you who need God's help through the Holy Spirit to help you apply Scripture. Verse 36, God, incline my heart to your testimonies. Verse 38, God, establish your word in me. We need to prepare our hearts. James chapter 1, verse 21 James said it categorically. Put aside all filthiness and sin in your life, Christian, and in humility receive the Word of God. Receive the Word of God. Receive the Word of God. Put away your sin and receive the Word of God. Welcome it. We've got to prepare our hearts. Pastor Kent Hughes, he wrote a book on this. He talks about how to prepare your heart and the family's heart a day before you go to worship. And one of the things is deliberately and intentionally think about you're going to receive the Word of God through a preached message and ask God to prepare your heart so that you might welcome the Word of God, apply it to your life so that you might grow and change, be fed and honor God as a result. We need God's help. It needs to be deliberate. So, listeners, we need to prepare our hearts. Number six. The listener needs to be discerning as they hear preaching and messages. Acts 17.11, we won't turn there, but I'll just read it. The Apostle Paul was going from city to city. Sometimes he was welcomed. Sometimes he was chased out of town. One time he went to a city. He preached the message. They chased him out of town. Literally, they wanted to kill him. He goes to the next city called Berea, and he's preaching there Sunday after Sunday, or Saturday after Saturday. And the people there just embraced the Word of God. They loved truth. They loved Scripture. And as they were listening to the Apostle Paul preach, they were studying the Scriptures and asking questions, welcoming what Paul had to say. And it says that they were receiving... Here's the verse. It says, They received the Word of God with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were true. So they were taking what Paul said and putting it up against Scripture to make sure what Paul said squared with Scripture. That is being a discerning listener. We need to do that anytime we hear somebody proclaim the Word of God. We've got to put it through the grid of Scripture. Is this consistent with what God has revealed? We need to be discerning listeners. I think of 1 Thessalonians 5 says, examine everything carefully. Examine everything tenaciously as a Christian. In detail, spiritually speaking, everything coming down the pike, everything you watch, listen to, read, hear, especially in terms of religion, philosophies, worldviews. Examine everything carefully, fastidiously. Protect your mind. That's the key. Especially with respect to preaching and spiritual truth. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good and do away with everything that is evil. False teaching is evil. We need to be examining everything carefully to see it's consistent with the Word of God. And so we need to be discerning listeners. Let's go to number seven. 
as we hear the Word of God, what is our response? Question, how will you respond to the Word of God? Not things Cliff said, but things where the preacher accurately represented the Word of God and proclaimed the truth of the Word of God. How will you respond to God's Word today? That's a question we all need to ask ourselves. How will you respond to the Word of God today? Well, the listener needs to submit to the preached Word. That's it. If it's truth, it's God's truth. And if it's God's truth, we need to submit. That's our only option. That's the only worthy and right one. We need to submit. I do want to read this passage because look at Acts chapter 17. It's that same, uh, it's that chapter where the Apostle Paul is in uh, Greece, Athens, and he's looking at this mountainside full of idols, and their city is just totally pagan and full with idol and pagan worship. And Paul's kind of angry about that. He's upset about how corrupt that culture is. And so, and he actually starts talking with these people, and then he starts preaching. And he's got a crowd listening to his. Preaching, it's biblical preaching, it's straight from Scripture. He's preaching divine revelation. And he's got this crowd and there's, there's quite the response. And because he's preaching truth of the Word of God, uh, he evokes a response. He's not seeking a response. He's not asking the people to respond. They're responding automatically. Human beings will always respond to truth from God when they hear it. They will. If not outwardly, they will in their mind. They will dismiss it. They will embrace it and rejoice, but there is going to be a response. So Paul, if they're listening, there's going to be a response. And these people were listening. And look at how they responded to Paul. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul? Next Sunday, the Apostle Paul is going to be our guest preacher. Oh, I'm coming, and I'm inviting a friend. And I'd be hanging on every word. And I bet everything he says is probably true. And amazing. As he's speaking divine revelation, as an apostle, you would think that that's how his message would be received. No. It's not received that way. Uh, there are different responses. Look at verse 32. Now, when these people who were listening heard the resurrection of the dead as Paul was preaching biblical truth, some began to sneer. Oh, can you imagine? That means outwardly making a noise and undermining the Apostle Paul, distracting him uh, and insulting him publicly with noises. That is very disrespectful. That is worse than a white card with bad comments on it. Sneering in the middle of his message or at the end. So that was one response. Here's the second response from some in the crowd. Uh, those were, there were those who began to sneer, and then there were others who said, We shall hear you again concerning this. You know what that is? That's the person who's not committed. They're noncommittal. Oh, that was very interesting. That was intriguing. Oh, that was very entertaining. Wow, I'd like to hear this again someday. How cool. But they don't get close to it en enough to embrace it in their life. They don't want to be confronted with it. So it's kind of at an arm's distance. It's not a criticism negatively. It is a response. It's not the best response. So you got sneering. you got, oh, how lovely. That's, that lady over there needed to hear that message today. And then the third response. After the sneering and the arms distance, cold, impersonal response, uh, verse 33 is the good response. So Paul went on from their midst. Oh, my job's done. Get this. Some men joined him. Why? Because they believed. So you got... All these people heard the same message and you got three responses. Sneering. Mm, sounds interesting. And then those who actually believed it and embraced it. And that's going to be true in every congregation. Always has been. Always will be with respect to God's truth. What is our obligation? It is to submit to the truth of the Word of God when we hear it. We are accountable to do so. And finally, number eight, listener. That is the listener is responsible for, get this, applying. The listener needs to apply the preached Word. The listener is responsible for applying the Word of God. 
okay, I'm supposed to preach the word of God and I'm not supposed to preach the word of men. But a couple of years ago at a shepherd's conference, in a question and answer session, where there's like 3,000 pastors from around the world coming to hear John MacArthur and others preach on... And one of the favorite times is Q&A, question and answer. And so Johnny Mac, Pastor Johnny Mac, was asked the question by a pastor, and he gets this question every year. He got this question all the time in chapel when I was in seminary. It was, Pastor John, you've been preaching for 40 years, you study for 30 hours a week. How much time or what percentage of your time in your preparation is given to application of the sermon? The application part. And a lot of times you say, well, what are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. What do you mean application? And they had to define it. Well, you know, you got... So 10% of your sermon is introduction, and then you've got uh, 50% is the body, and then 30% at the end is given to application. And he said, mm, I don't, that isn't how I prepare my sermons. And then two years ago, somebody asked him that question again for the hundredth time. And in front of 4,000 pastors, he said, uh, I've come to realize as a preacher of God's word that I actually spend absolutely zero time on application when I prepare my sermons. And then there was this gasp in the audience of all these pastors that defies every preaching book and it breaks every rule. What do you mean? And he explained what he was talking about. It is not my job to apply the truth as it's preached in this sermon. That's your job. It's the listener's job to apply the truth of the Word of God when they hear a sermon. And it's your job to apply it in conjunction with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who is your teacher and has promised to help you understand Scripture and apply it specifically to your life because Scripture and its truth, when it is taught properly, it is inherently applicable. As a matter of fact, one of his favorite answers used to be, how much of your sermon is given to application? He he would always say 100% of it. 100% of it. And we were reading that truth in Psalm 119 where the psalmist is praying, God, help me to observe Your law. God, help me to obey Your Word. What they're saying is, God, help me to apply the Bible. To apply Scripture. 100% responsibility of the listener when they hear the truth of the Word of God in conjunction with the help of the ministry of the indwelling Holy Spirit who is our comforter, who is our teacher, and provides the ongoing ministry of illumination for the believer so that their eyes will be enlightened to see truth. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. How might a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to the word of God? I want to close with this. If you've got your Bible, look at Second Thessalonians. Just a great verse. And full of practical application all on its own. Second Thessalonians, or sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'll close with this. Paul planted this church at Thessalonica, stayed there, shepherded the people, taught them, preached. They had a personality. They had attributes about them. And Paul really appreciated the Thessalonians. And here's a summary statement he makes about them. One reason that Paul appreciated this congregation so much. Verse 13 of First Thessalonians chapter 1. For this reason, we also constantly thank God. I am so thankful as a pastor for you, the Thessalonians. I don't want to talk about those Corinthians right now because I'm kind of mad at them. But I am so thankful for you, Thessalonians. Why? For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from me, the Apostle Paul and my associates, you accepted it not as the Word of men. It wasn't just human wisdom. But you accepted it for what it really is, the Word of the living God. Isn't that awesome? You accepted it as the, the Word of God 
which also, get this, it is living, it is active, which also performs its work in you who believe. That's key. So, pastor, how do I apply this message? Point number one, believe it. Boy, if you believe it and embrace it, the Holy Spirit's going to start doing work in you and sometimes you don't even see the work that He's doing because that is His promise because the Word of God is living and active. With that, let's go ahead and pray and thank the Father for our time together. Father, we do thank You for the Word of God, the treasure that it is, the power that it has for this reminder from Paul that when we hear truth from Scripture taught or preached, the onus is on us, God, Your people, to be discerning, to vet it with Scripture of what You've already revealed, if it is true, to believe it, to embrace it. And God, then to ask You as the Holy Spirit to help us apply it to our life and live it out all for Your glory. God, we need Your help desperately to do that. We thank You for our time together in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.